So Mary Magdalene uh, met Jesus early on in Jesus' time here on earth, and she appears throughout the gospel. Um, most scholars figure that, that the Magdalene name means that she was from a town called Magdala, which is south uh, in South Galilee, uh, of the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. The interesting thing is uh, Mary Magdalene was... Um, here you go. Um, she was, it, it says of her that she was a person of means, so she probably has some money from somewhere, but also she had seven demons cast out of her somewhere along the line. But here is Mary Magdalene, and if you can imagine, I, I love the way Terry did that, just getting us to imagine her emotion and her feelings as she came to this tomb that was empty and wondering what is going on. And how as soon as Jesus said her name, her eyes were opened and she could see. Last week on Palm Sunday, I asked the question, are you seeing or are you just seeing? The idea was that on Palm Sunday, that story um, the disciples and those followers of Jesus and those around him as he came in on this cult, they, they saw Jesus, but they really didn't see what Jesus was about. They really didn't know what he was trying to do, and it didn't come all together until after. And I, and I often wonder if after Mary saw Jesus resurrected and recognized that this was Jesus, and as she was running back to tell everybody that he has arisen, I wonder if she's running or walking back if she wasn't having all these different memories of her time with Jesus and maybe some things that he said or things that he did and was just like, oh, that makes sense now. Oh, I get it. Now I know what he means. You see, sometimes we see, but we really don't see. And today, what I want us to realize is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, all things are new. Everything's new. It's all new. We may not be able to see that all things are new, but when we see, then we can see that all things are new. Sounds confusing, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The new creation has come. Past tense again. It, the new is here. The new creation has come. God has done this amazing thing where the old is gone. The old is gone is this aorist tense which is kind of a snapshot, you think of a photo of an event in the past. And so the old is gone. It's like this picture of something that happened in the past. It's done. It's over. It, the old is done. It's gone. It's no more. It's, that, it's looking at that picture from the past. It doesn't continue. It's done. The, the new has come is this perfect tense, and it's this weird combination of a completed action that occurred in the past, but produces results into the future. So again, the new has come. It's, it, it's already done. 
It, it, it's happened, but it, it doesn't stay there like the past tense. It continues on, and it brings results and produces results into the future. Now, sometimes this kind of stuff is hard to grasp as we think about it, but imagine, and, and this is an illustration I use all the time, but it's what the best illustration for me, and that is Terry and I, 33 years ago almost, we said, I do, and on that day we were one. It's done. But the results and producing of that oneness continues on to the future, and what I say is we have to figure out how to live as one, so too, the new has come. You are new if you are in Christ. I am new. It's done, but it carries on into the future, meaning, huh, so how do I live and walk as one who is new? Because all things are new. N.T. Wright, when he's, he is writing about Easter in his book, Following Jesus, and he says this, <clears throat> Easter isn't just about you and me and our present spiritual experience or our hope beyond the grave. Easter is the beginning of God's new world. The idea of a new age, so popular just now, is a feeble pagan parody of the reality, which is this. That when Jesus burst out of the tomb on the first Easter day, the history of the cosmos changed its course. That's when the new real age began. And it's perhaps because we've lost sight of that fact that the so-called new age of today with all its mumbo-jumbo and its half-baked pseudo-philosophy has come in to fulfill, to fill the vacuum. Easter is the victory of the creator over all evil. It is the victory of God to love over all tyranny. Tyranny of right as well as left. And indeed, tyranny of the muddled center that sprouts its ugly head from time to time. It declares that, after all, God is God and that His kingdom shall come and His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Easter speaks of a world reborn. Amen? Everything is new. It's done. And it's producing fruit into the future. But we have this problem. We always have problems, right? The problem is, we don't experience that new life all the time. And that's partly because we've got this thing, it's called the flesh. The flesh is where what we talk about here is where our disordered desires are at. And they mess everything up. James writes in his letter, James, starting with uh, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. We have this disordered desire. It's around us, and it impacts how we see the new, or it makes it harder for us to live in that newness. 
But Paul gives us an answer in how to deal with this. This newness, this fact that we are new and yet we have our disordered desires. And he says this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's how you do it. You recognize that your flesh, you have been crucified with Christ. Your, your flesh is crucified. Okay? And now you live knowing that Christ lives in you and this life that you're living in this flesh, you're going to live by faith in Christ. You're going to live by faith in the fact that Christ has made all things new. You're going to walk forward. It, it's a done deal. It, again, going back to my illustration with Terry. It's every day I live my life as one flesh with Terry. It's, I don't do it right all the time. I make mistakes. But that's, that's my mindset. Terry and I are one. So when I interact with her, it's one flesh. So too, you are new in Christ. It's a done deal. And yes, you make mistakes. We all have our personality stuff. We all have, all, yeah, we all have our junk. But it's choosing today. I, I'm going to walk in this new. I, I'm new. Bible tells me it's done. So my faith is in what Jesus has done, not in my own flesh. Paul also tells us how to do this walking in this newness in Colossians 3, uh, one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. He says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Here it is. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Did you catch that? Your heart and your mind set it on things above. This is how you, in your flesh, walk out what is already done, that all things are new. I'm going to set my heart, my, my desires and my passions, I'm going to set them on things above where Christ is. Not, not on here. I'm going to set my mind on things above. I'm, I'm going to not try to reason the way the world reasons. I'm going to think and reason a way that Christ does it, the way that we see in His Word. And so my, that's, that's my focus. And then he tells us to do some other things here in Colossians 3. He then goes on to tell us and says, okay, so now that you're going to set your mind and your heart on things above, okay, there's some things you need to put to death. So put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, some pretty bad stuff, right? Maybe for most of those things we can go, yeah, I don't have, you know, sexual morality, I don't have to worry about that. Greed, maybe, you know. But then he goes on and he says, um, not only that stuff, but anger, bitterness, malice, slander, lying, foul talk coming out of your mouth. Okay, now it's getting a little personal for some of us, right? Paul is saying, when you set your mind and your heart on things above, put that stuff to death. Okay? Set, it's done. Put it to death. 
Get rid of it. And then he moves on, and he says this. Therefore, whoops, sorry, I missed my, wow. Okay, so we're just going to stay there, and I'm going to read it from my tablet here. I don't know what happened right there. Um, Colossians 3.12, he goes on and he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you see the picture? You put all that stuff to death. Now I'm going to put on compassion. I'm going to dress in kindness. I'm going to dress in humility. I'm putting it on. Do you see the intentional choice So living by faith in the Son of God who loved me means I'm intentionally choosing to put all that other stuff that's of this world to death and getting rid of it. And I'm intentionally choosing to put on compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience. And then he goes on and says, bear with each other. That means when somebody's going through a hard stretch, be there with them. Hold them up. Encourage them. Walk alongside them. And then he gets, well, it gets even harder. Forgive one another. Even if, uh, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgives you. So, see, forgive. Anyone has any kind of grievance, forgive them. But don't just, okay, I forgive you. Forgive the way Christ forgives you. And how does Christ forgive you? He remembers your sins no more. Now that's hard. Right? Am I the only one that thinks that's hard? Because I have a pretty good memory when somebody offends me. Forgiving the way Christ forgives me means that when I forgive somebody, it's like the offense is gone. The sin, it's out of my mind. Talk about setting your mind on things above. That's it. Then Paul goes on and says, over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. First two commands, greatest commands, love God, love others. Unity only happens when we learn how to love each other. Again, the way God loves us. That, that's, that's our standard. My standard for love and forgiveness is not what I think is an okay way to love and forgive. Uh-uh. Because remember, Christ is in me. My mind and my heart are on things above where Christ is. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to do what He does. And so my standard of forgiveness and love and walking in newness is not based on what I think. It's based on, oh, this is what Jesus does. This is how Jesus does it. Holy cow. And we all know we can't do it on our own. And this is where... It is so important for us to daily put to death, clothe ourselves. And we do it 
because we are already new. It's a done deal. There's a great picture of this intention or this process of learning to walk out the newness. And it's the story of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. As we know, they had been in slavery for 400 years. They came out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. They are now free. It's a done deal. They've been there in the wilderness for a couple of years. Problem being in the wilderness is that there was a water issue and there was a food issue. God took care of the food issue by doing manna. Manna, now two years later, they're still eating manna. How would you like to eat the same food for two years? Three meals a day. Might get a little boring. Yes, it might get a little boring. And so the people started to complain. And here's what the people said. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlics. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Oh, how terrible it is. I agree. I'd be bored too. But notice what they did. They looked back into Egypt for their answer. They kept their mind and their heart on things of this earth. They didn't put to death the other stuff. They were still remembering and... Yes, we were in slavery, and I know slavery was bad, but God, we had fish, and we had leeks, and we had onions, and we had melons. At least we had something other than this manna. It only took them another 38 years. Not bad. And we know what happened. It's 38 years later. They're getting close to going to the promised land. All the people who were adults now were gone. They were dead and gone. It's all the younger generation now has grown up. And the younger generation is just like their older generation. They complain and they whine. They're at a spot, no water, and so they're complaining and whining about not having water again. And so it says this in Numbers 20, Now there was no water for, com- for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Oh man, it's so bad. I wish we would just die. We are a crazy motley group of people. Why did you bring the Lord's community into the wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? And here's where the change happens. It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. The difference is they were no longer longing for the food of Egypt. Egypt. 
You see the, the grains and the grapevines and the pomegranates, that's the food of the promised land. Finally, they had set their minds on the promised land, not on slavery. Yes, the condition hadn't changed for much, but now they're finally looking to what was new and what was coming. So living by faith in the Son of Man means that I begin to crave what is new, what is part of His kingdom, and I stop craving what it is part of the old way, part of this earth. Life is hard. We go through tough things. But Jesus Christ came and died and rose again and the whole world was changed 2,000 years ago and all things are new. Today, let's choose to live as people who are new. When Mary Magdalene heard her name, she saw Jesus. Jesus is calling each one of us by name. Jesus is calling your name. Many of you here have heard Him call your name and have responded to that calling. My question for you today is, where is your mind and your heart? Is your mind and your heart on what is new, on the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father? Or is your mind and heart on the things of this earth? Some of you in this room maybe haven't responded to Jesus calling your name. Know this, Jesus is calling your name today. And the question I have for you today is, are you willing, are you ready to say yes to the call that Jesus has on you? At the end of the service today, there'll be a couple of people up here to pray. And if you need prayer, maybe you need prayer because... Uh, Jesus has been calling your name and you haven't responded yet. Come, we, we want to pray with you. Maybe you have said yes to his name, but you, you just kind of, you know, been setting your mind and your heart on the things of this world and you just, you just need to get your heart right with God and, and you, you just want to pray with somebody. We're, we're here. We want to pray with you. I encourage you today to choose a life where all things are new. It's done. What are you choosing today? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and rising again and reconciling our relationship with God.
through your death and resurrection. Thank you that the old is gone and the new has come. I pray, Father, that you would give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to put to death all of that which is of this world and that we would clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience. We would bear one another. We would forgive one another. We would love one another. Today, give us the courage and the strength to put our faith in you, the one who has made all things new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.